Okay. Yeah, like Shane said, uh, I have known Shane and Becky uh, probably longer than I haven't known them, uh, truth be told. And uh, they're a great blessing, and it's it's been fantastic to see uh, just where God has has laid them and and, and worked in their lives and, and done for them and with them, and uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic to be here with you today. I mean that sincerely. I'm from Casper. Uh, you know, I uh, I've grown up in church for the most part. Uh, like we like Shane said, we went to youth group together. My dad's been my pastor since as long as I can remember, uh, li- very literally. And so he's he's still my pastor to this day, and I know that uh, there in Casper, uh, our church. Uh, not just uh, loves you guys, but prays for the churches around the state. And so it's good to be with a body of believers that's not my own, but is still my own. And so uh, I'm thankful to be here today. And I know that I know that you have been praying for me. I know Shane and Becky have, and I appreciate that greatly. Uh, so uh, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah today. This is a, uh, a very dear passage to me. I'll let you know right off the bat, I am an emotional man. Uh, to some of maybe the detriment, if you will. So I'm not going to promise that I'll get through this without tearing up. I apologize if that makes you uncomfortable, but it really is just who I am. Uh, I'm just an emotional guy. Uh, this passage means a great deal to me because it's the passage that was preached uh, when, when God reached out to me and saved me. And so it's, it's very meaningful to me, and so that's one of the reasons I will tear up. It's, it just begins, I don't get to read this passage without remembering uh, what God has done in my life for me, and, and it's, it's just a blessing. And so uh, we get to look at this. Uh, we're in Isaiah 6. Uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then uh, we'll kind of take it a little bit by a little bit. So let's go ahead and start reading, if you will. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray, and then we'll get into this. God, I do thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this passage specifically in my life, but uh, God, as, as we are here today, we ask that you would uh, open up your wisdom and your truth to us that we might understand and we might hear from you. Lord, I ask that you speak through me and that you take the words away from me and that you would uh, just place all understanding and learning from you, God. Uh, I ask that you would uh, 
forgive me of the sins that I've committed and that we have committed and that you would prepare our hearts right now to hear from you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, uh, this is a, a fantastic passage. Uh, I, I think it's always important anytime we study Scripture to understand the background or the, the scenario of what has been happening. Uh, the first verse gives us some, a time period. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, King Uzziah uh, was a great king for Judah. Uh, in fact, uh, when it comes to like kings for Israel or Judah, you have David and Solomon, uh, and they were the, the combined kingdom there, and then splits. And then for Judah, you kind of have two great kings, uh, depending on your outlook on what a great king makes, Uzziah was either the first or the second best. Uh, he did a lot of great things. He uh, was very good militarily. He uh, conquered multiple different nations, expanded the borders of Israel. Uh, he developed uh, a system of defense for the walls of Jerusalem where he would install machines, it says in the Bible, uh, that would throw uh, arrow, arrows and rocks uh, at people who were going to come to invade. He installed some agricultural systems that were really uh, good for the people. And so the, the period of time where Uzziah was king was prosperous in every sense of the word. It wasn't just militarily great. It was economically great, socially great. Uh, they received, uh, in fact, it says in the Bible, uh, in, I believe, Second Chronicles, that their name was known even to Egypt. Right? And so this is a king who, when it comes down to it, from the world's perspective, was a fantastic guy. And for the first decent portion of his life, a very godly man. Uh, this was a man, in fact, uh, he, he served uh, directly under a couple different uh, high priests, but also uh, prophets, and uh, truly in his early ministry, probably the first 16 years of his, uh, of his ministry, which, uh, or of his leadership, uh, were very godly. Uh, but it tells a story in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26 of a time where uh, he started to kind of turn away from, from this uh, godliness. And uh, the success had gotten to him. And so he was a, a very proud man. In fact, the Bible tells us he was proud. And in chapter 26 of Second Chronicles, it tells us that King Uzziah uh, went to offer incense in the temple of the Lord, which was not his role. Right? His role was to be king. The priests were the ones who would offer incense. They were allowed inside of the temple. So he goes into the temple to offer incense. And the high priest and 80 other valiant priests, it says, at least in my uh, uh, translation of the scriptures, uh, it says they go in after him and they said, this is not for you to do. This is not something you should do. And he gets angry at the priests for calling him out. How dare you tell me what I can and can't do? Don't you know who I am? Kind of moment. And it says that, uh, the temple has an earthquake and uh, a piece breaks off of the temple and light shines through. This is actually from a man named Josephus, uh, who you might know of, uh, I think like first or second century. Uh, but uh, light shines on him when it does. Uh, it says that he becomes leprous on his forehead. And Second Chronicles 26 tells us that as soon as they see it, the priests rush him out of the temple for he has become unclean, even more of a reason to not do that. And he lives out his days isolated, leprous for the rest of the time, right? And so this is who King Uzziah was. Now, even when he was leprous, he still was able to lead the nation through his son, Jotham. And so he was still the king, all right? He still did fairly good things for uh, the country, the, the nation of Judah, and so for this to be the year that he died would have been a pretty important transitional time period for the nation of Judah. I mean, you just had arguably the best king you've had since David and Solomon, and now he's passing away. His time, his reign is coming to an end. 
And no things are guaranteed when it comes to lineage, right? We've seen time after time throughout the Old Testament of where uh, godly men leave the, the high priests to their sons, and all of a sudden these sons are terrible and evil, wicked men, right? So the fact that Uzziah died does not mean or uh, his son Jotham is going to do any great. So we have this kind of sense of turmoil existing inside of Judah. Uh, another thing to note uh, is that Uzziah, King Uzziah, was cousins with Isaiah, the man writing this, the man getting the vision in chapter six here. And so even more of a sense as Isaiah writes this, we understand that for him personally, it might also be a sense of turmoil. Uh, Isaiah would have been a man of stature. He would have been cousins with the king and he was a, a priest that served in the temple. This was a man who rubbed shoulders with the powerful people of his day. And so for Isaiah personally, for the nation of Israel uh, or of Judah, this would have been uh, a sense of what's going to happen. And that's an important thing to understand as we read this because the, the very first thing that Isaiah sees, and this is in verse one, he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He sees God in a position of ruling, of reigning over, right? And not just one of kinghood. In fact, it actually says, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. This isn't just the throne that Uzziah sat on. This isn't just the throne uh, the Holy of Holies would have had inside of it for, for, for God himself. This is a throne above the throne of kings. This is a king that, that reigns over the kings of this earth. It, to establish God as more than Uzziah, right? God is more in control than this man who you've relied on for the past 50 some years, right? God rules over all things right? It's important for Isaiah to see that, right? The sense of turmoil of what's going to happen. Where am I? Where are we as a nation? For then God to appear as the king of kings for Judah is important, right? It's the very first thing that Isaiah mentions here. And I think this is why, right? So it moves on. It says, not only that, but the train of his robe filled the temple. The temple was very literally the local place for God. This is where God resided. It's where he lived in, for the nation of Judah. So the train of his robe filling the temple, A, tells us that God is in his rightful place, but B, and this is way more important, I think, to the passage and to us, that it's not just local, right? God isn't just the God in Jerusalem. God is much bigger than that. He's the king of kings. And as we come to find out later on, his glory is known throughout all of the earth right? Not just in the temple where he's known to reside for us. His glory goes far beyond that to the extents of the earth. That's an important thing. We, we understand immediately that God is bigger than what Isaiah and the nation of Judah maybe thought. And he's bigger than I think what we often give him credit for. And, and so as we, as we move into uh, the, the kind of the meat of this, there's going to be three things that I want us to, to take away from this. In fact, there's three reactions, I think, that Isaiah has that we should then uh, look at our own life and see if we should have these same uh, reactions. So uh, we know that this is uh, who God is. He's established himself. Uh, Immediately after that, there's some other characters that are involved. Uh, these are the seraphim, some angels, and it says uh, they're, they're flying. Above him are the seraphim. Each have six wings. With two, they cover their face, two their feet, and with two, they fly. Uh, this is significant for us, right? For one, these seraphim, these angels, angelic beings, are in the presence of God. And because they're in the presence, they have to cover their faces, we're going we're gonna to look at the glory of God and what that means, 
right? But even angels, beings that were created to be in the presence and to do the will of God, are unable to look at the glory of God fully. That's something to remember, okay? We will get into that a little bit later, but, but keep that fresh in your mind. With two wings, they cover their feet. Historically, uh, the nation of Judah would have considered the feet the most unclean aspect of a person. And so uncleanliness is something that is not allowed into the presence of God. Uh, Shane mentioned this holy, holy, holy in the, in the children's message, which we read here. Uh, this idea being that God is the most holy being. Uh, the, the Hebrew people didn't really have a word for like best. So if they want to describe the best pizza, they would say like, this is good, good pizza, right? Good pizza, it's good pizza, but the best pizza is good, good. They would reiterate the word a second time to create the superlative of it, if you will. So the very best form of something was good, good. Well, for God, he's not just holy, holy which is the best holy, right? That's the most holy. God supersedes the most holy thing because he is holy, holy, holy. There's not even a concept to understand the holiness that God represents to the angels themselves. These perfect holy beings can't fathom the holiness of God. And so they hide their feet from him because this unclean aspect, even of these perfect beings are not to be in the presence of God. The presence of God does not allow unholiness and uncleanness. And then with two, they fly. This, this flight gives us this essence, this, this concept of their readiness to serve, right? So they cover their faces because they can't behold the very face of God. They cover their feet because no uncleanness can be in his presence. And then they fly because they know they have a calling. They know they have a role to play and they are ready for it, right? This, this fantastic thing. And then they say to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? We come back to this concept that God is not just this local God of Judah. He is the God of the whole earth. His glory is to be known for all humankind, not just Judah. His glory goes through the whole earth. So we move on. This is my favorite part of this passage uh, because I'm a, I'm a word guy. Uh, I'm a nerd for one, uh, just a big nerd. And it says, the foundations of the thresholds shook the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. This is a, uh, a calamitous event that happens in this vision. Uh, the, if you guys go back and read uh, through numbers and uh, the, the story of what the temple was looked like and built with, this is a big, strong building, uh, massive stones and, and pillars and things. And for it to have the very foundations shake, this is a calamitous event. And the cool thing about this, the reason I really like this part of the passage is that because in uh, Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, the, the word used is, uh, I'm going to mess this up because there's a character in a book that I really like, kavod. I was going to say kavoth, but kavod is the word used here. And the word kavod translates to glory. Okay, so that's the word used in this passage. It also translates to weight, like heavy weight. And so the glory of God is shown descending from on high, the throne that he is, to the earth, and the weight of God shakes the foundations of the temple. I love that image, right? In fact, if you do a study through the Bible, when the glory of God descends, it descends violently in the Bible. Not once does it come down peacefully. 
right? In fact, when the angels show up uh, uh, proclaiming the birth of God to the shepherds, it says that the glory of God shone around them just with the angels, and they're terrified, right? When the glory of God shows up, calamitous things happen, okay? But God himself descends here. His glory himself descends, and the foundations of the temple cannot withstand the weight that God brings on it, right? It's this calamitous event. I love that word, so I've used it a bunch. Uh, but, but that's what happens here, right? And so Isaiah has his first reaction, his first reaction being this realization. He says, woe is me. In some of your translations, it'll say, I am undone. This, this concept is one that I don't think we translate well modernly, right? Because we hear woe is me and we think of a soap opera, right? Oh, woe is me. You know, this, this disastrous, like I'm, I'm heartbroken, right? We have this concept there. But for Isaiah, this, this, this woe was a curse upon himself and not just a curse of like being upset with himself, a curse unto death. He says, I am cursing myself to death because my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Now, again, this is a concept and an image that occurs many times throughout Scripture. Uh, the first one that I can think of is in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. Uh, Moses is speaking to God, and he says, Moses, or sorry, Moses says, God, show me your glory. That's the translation that I have, the ESV. It says, show me your glory. And God says, that's not possible. Because if you were to look at my glory, you would die. So instead, I'll put you on this, this cliff and I'll cover it. And then I'll make my goodness pass before you so that you can get a glimpse of me. Because if you see my glory, you, Moses, this, this righteous, holy man would surely die. And then again, we get this concept in Hebrews 9.27. Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed once unto man and then to judgment. Because when we face God, we don't just face God, we face judgment. It's the, it's the consequence for all humanity. We are, we are going to die and then we face judgment. And, and for Moses to face God while living is the same as judgment. And that judgment is death. And Isaiah faces God in this vision. And he says, my judgment, my deserved consequence, the curse that I place upon myself is death. That's what I get for facing God. And Isaiah was a righteous man. He served in the temple faithfully, right? This, this wasn't a man who, who needed to come to terms with, with open sin in his life. He wasn't Uzziah. Uh, he, was, he was probably uh, a very godly man. And yet this godly man faces God and says, woe is me, I am undone. And he gives the most glorious reason to me. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Now, I don't know about you, I, I work a, a fairly blue collar job, uh, with a lot of uh, unbelievers, and, and I hear a lot of sinning with your lips. Uh, some of us struggle with it, right? I, I've been known to struggle with it myself, uh, so no judgment from me, but I don't think this is what Isaiah means, right? Isaiah is a, a man who, from the outward, would have literally been perfect. I mean, he would have followed every commandment, every rule. He would have been ceremoniously clean as often as he could. He would have been serving God faithfully. He was a man that you looked to and said, that's the guy I want to be. So I don't think that's what he means here. I think what's happening is that he encounters God 
And the very thing that God intends to use him for is where he finds himself to be most lacking. You see, God intends to use Isaiah to be his mouthpiece to the people of Judah and Israel. And Isaiah says, even though this is the very thing you want to use, it's worthless for you. It's the very thing that is causing my downfall and causing my distress. And that, when I heard that the first time, it blew me away. A realization really of who God is and my standing in relation to him. You see, I'm a man who is maybe overly confident. I really like me. And some of you may really like you, right? That's okay. I get it. I, I really do. I'm, a, I'm my biggest fan. But when I face God, I'm nothing. My very best is the reason for my eternal damnation. There's nothing I have that even remotely compares to God's magnitude. And Isaiah realizes this. That's why he says, woe is me. That's why he puts this curse on me. This thing that I have been so good at, this thing that I have been perfect at is not good enough. What could I possibly do to to encounter this God and live? There's nothing. He has that realization, right? And, and, And thankfully, the story doesn't end there. I'm thankful for my own life. I'm thankful for Isaiah's, and and I'm sure we're all thankful for the moment that we realize our story doesn't end with woe. Because what happens next is going to lead us to our second reaction. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Whew! That's, that's big stuff, right? This, this is one of those moments for Isaiah that I'm sure many of us have had. And if not, then, then I pray desperately for you to. But this is a moment where Isaiah's sin is taken away and he's able to stand in the presence of God guiltless because God has taken his sin away. This is the only way that we as humans are able to face God, able to face the judgment that Hebrews tells us about without declaring woe upon ourselves is for our sins to be taken away. It's good news. It happens for him. And then immediately his sin is taken away. And it says he hears the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And his response is, of course, yeah, right here. I'm right here. Send me. I'll go do this for you, right? Like I just went from woe to salvation, to guiltlessness. I'll do anything. I'll do absolutely, whatever you send me to, I will go for. <laughs> Here I am. Don't send anybody else. I, I bet if there were three guys there or a hundred guys there, Isaiah wouldn't let any one of them take his place because of what just happened. He says, this has to be me. I have to be the guy you send because of what you've done in my life. I want to go and I'll do anything for you. And that had to be this moment for Isaiah of like anything and everything. Let's go. If you've had a passion, Isaiah had it double, right? I mean, like this man was on fire for God and God's like, great, we will. So what you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to say these things to these people. Right? My second response here that Isaiah has is one of response. Right? He realizes his sin, his guilt is taken away from him, and he responds to God in the affirmative. He says, yep, here I am, send me. And, and the, the truth of the matter is that 
These two things can't be separated. Because if you've realized you're a sinner and that you're going to face destruction one day at the hand of a, of a holy God, and then God takes your sin away, you can't do anything but respond in the affirmative. Here I am, send me, right? Uh, I, I got the, the absolute privilege of talking with one of your elders who's been here for uh, longer than I've been alive, um, but... He, he was able to serve in years after years after years of ministry and, and was talking to me about these things. And I hope one day to have a testimony like that. Where I can say God used me for decades. That God called me in his purpose and with his glory for years and years and years. Because no matter what, no matter what position you're in, young, old, working full-time, not working at all, it doesn't matter. God has called you to be used by him. And our response, because we've had our sin taken away, has to be, here I am, send me. If it's not, then we should check to make sure that we've been forgiven. If you're sitting here today, like, I don't do anything for God. Well, God's done everything for you. Why not? You have to respond in the affirmative, right? So God then gives him his calling. Now, this calling, it kills me to read. I mean that sincerely. Uh, you don't get to finish Isaiah 6 and leave happy, I don't think. Uh, so sorry, this is going to be a bummer. Uh, but let's read it. It says, go and say to these people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. We'll stop there for now because to understand, as Isaiah does here, that he's supposed to go and share with people how to experience the joy that he just felt so that they won't should be heartbreaking for us. To be told this elation that you've experienced by having your sin taken away is not for your friends. It's not for your family. It's not for your countrymen. It's not for your king. It's not for the people that you love. I need you to go and tell them so that they won't understand and they won't turn and they won't be healed. That would kill me. You see, I, I know that I've been called to teach and I get to, I get to serve at my church and I get to teach and I get to do these things and and I've experienced elation with people as they come to know the Lord. And I've experienced heartbreak when they didn't. And to know going into it that nobody was ever going to respond, I don't know if I could keep doing it. I don't know if I could get up in front of people and tell them about the good news that I've experienced knowing they couldn't. It would kill me. It should kill us. It killed Isaiah, right? Because Isaiah responds, this is in verse 11, he said, How long? How long do you want me to do this? How long do you want me to share my good news with people and have them not respond? Just for a year, maybe two? Give me something, God. I, I need to know how long. And God says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. And the holy seed is its stump. You see, God tells Isaiah that he needs to tell this 
the same good news that he has to people until they can't hear it anymore, until somebody comes and takes their life from them, until somebody comes and tears down the country that he loves, that he's lived in his whole life, that he's served faithfully, until that city lies in ruin. And then to keep telling it because it's going to happen again. Even after this first destruction happens, you're to keep telling until they come and destroy it again. And this destruction, God recognizes, is the holy seed of Israel. He recognizes that these are the people that God set apart from Abraham. And that should be devastating news to Isaiah. It was devastating news to Isaiah. And it's, it should be kind of devastating news to us, I think, because we're called to share with people who will not respond, who will not hear. And we're called to continue to tell them until they can't hear it anymore. And that should hurt us. I think it hurts God. I think there's very good scriptural evidence to back that up. We can debate about it later if you want. I'd be fine with that. But uh, it, it brings me to this third reaction that we have. And it's one of resolution. Because Isaiah here is called to be resolved in his message. And we are called to be resolved in the message that we speak, regardless of the outcomes. You see, I have the privilege of going into the Wyoming State Behavioral Association, this, this medical hospital, and I get to, to share the gospel week after week with teen girls, uh, a lot of them dealing with suicide, uh, drug abuse, uh, abuse in any kind of regard. And I, I deal with them uh, on a pretty consistent level, and, and I can't tell you how many salvations we've had. It's probably one. I've been doing this for years because God has called me to teach the gospel. And it doesn't matter if I get to be heartbroken week after week for these girls who don't respond to the gospel message. I'm still called to share it because if they don't hear it, they definitely won't respond. And we're called to be resolute in the message that we present to those around us, regardless of the response or no response that we've had in the past. We're called to be resolute. Now, I, I'm not going to leave it on this super low level here. I don't think that's fair. Uh, let's go a, a little bit further uh, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, let me find it in my notes here. Uh, Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Man, that is some good news for us in this room today. You see, God promises later on in Isaiah, this is, this is the same man who just heard these words from God. How long, O Lord, until it's done? You accomplish the word which I sent out through you until it accomplishes the purpose from which I sent it. And it says here, it will accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. That should be fantastic for us because we know that God's word accomplishes what it will. It's promised to us by God. So if you do share with your neighbors and God has ordained for them to know him, it works. It works every time because God, his word is promised to. It can't be broken. 
From, from Isaiah 55, we know that God's word accomplishes the purpose for which it's set out. What, what other reason do you need to share? Go and volunteer at, at Awana. Go and, and, and talk to your, your neighbors, your coworkers. We sang that, that great song about how we're gonna share with our neighbors. Absolutely. Because we know God's word works every time. 100% of the time it works. Yeah, maybe, maybe you have to tell them a thousand times and maybe they don't hear it, but there will be someone where God's word infects their life and it causes the same transformation that Isaiah gets. And you get to rejoice with them. You get to rejoice in the knowing that this person has gone from woe to cleanliness. Oh, it's a good feeling. For those of you sitting here knowing what it felt like to be saved, that's a good feeling. There are some of you here who have never experienced that salvation. And guess what? You can. You can go from woe to cleanliness. You can face God sinless. And, and all it takes is to understand that it's God who takes away the sin in our life. The Bible tells us if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved, right? Because while Isaiah had coals touch his lips, Christ died, taking our punishment of death upon himself on a cross, and then rose three days later, defeating the grave, so that we no longer have to face that consequence of the grave. And all you have to do is believe it. That's super easy. For those of you worried about the coals, you don't even have that. I didn't have any heat. It was great. <laughs> but this is it, right? We, we we're sitting here today, and we, we can be in one of three stages, I think a stage where maybe we need to realize that we're sinners and we're going to face a holy God that doesn't allow sin into his presence. And if that's the case, you need to respond like Isaiah responded. And then ultimately after you have responded, respond again saying, here I am, God send me. Some of us here today are in that stage where we're maybe sitting in church and then we go home and we eat lunch and we go to work and we eat lunch at work and we go home and then we go to work and we do it all over again. And we don't do anything. And God is saying, I need you to do this for me. Whether that's share the gospel with your neighbors, whether that's volunteer at Awana or here at the church in, in any one of the ministries that you have here, you need to respond. And if that's the case, get plugged in. Talk to the elders, talk to Shane or Becky and find out where it is that you're needed because God needs you to do that. And then some of us here, need to continue to be resolute because we've been in ministries where we feel like nothing is happening. We've been in ministries that feel like it's just one day after another and nothing matters. Everything you do is awful and nobody listens. And I get it. To some extent, I get it. God is calling you to continue faithfully because as Isaiah 55 tells us, his word will accomplish the purpose by which it was sent. So be resolute. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day you've given us. I thank you for your word. Lord, I ask that you would create in us a need to respond. God, to react to your word. God, I ask that you would, uh, in my life, fulfill the, the purpose by which your word was sent to me in the lives of those here, in the lives of this city, in this state, in this, in this nation, God. Pray these things in your name. Amen.